Hey, everybody. This is your Cyber Path. We're the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job. I'm Kip Boyle. Wes Schreiner is here. Uh, he's the co-host. And we are experienced hiring managers of cybersecurity professionals. And what we're here to do, again, is to help you get your dream cybersecurity job. Now, this episode is available as an audio-only recording. If you would like it, just go to your favorite podcast app, search for your CyberPath podcast. We're, we're in there. And, um, and if you're on YouTube and you're watching us right now on video, that's great. But if you're listening and you want to watch, because we do have some visuals that, that, uh, that we're sharing, just go to YouTube and search for your CyberPath podcast. Okay, so this is a uh, an episode in a series that, that we're uh, producing and delivering to you, and it's designed to tell you all about the way that cybersecurity organizations are put together. There are a lot of jobs, a lot of different services, and a lot of different areas, and we want you to know what they all are, so you can figure out, hey, where do you know where do I fit into all this? Where am I going to be happy? Uh, you know, spending a, such a huge part of my day such a huge part of my life. Uh, you know, wh where's a good fit for me? So we want you to find your dream cybersecurity job, and that's what we're up to. And today we're going to focus on the governance, risk, and compliance part of the organization. You'll hear that uh, most often referred to as GRC. And today we're going to explore GRC with the help of a guest. And Wes, would you please introduce our guest? I am excited to introduce today. Today we have Shanmugavel Senkaran who is joining us from Walnut, California. He is a serial entrepreneur and hard worker. Uh, our paths crossed about 15 years ago at Microsoft. Oh, sorry, let me give you a slide here. Uh, about 15 years at Microsoft, where he was a uh, 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 security engineering uh, leader. Uh, he has been running his own company the last few years in the governance, risk, and compliance space. He's built a, a SaaS GRC tool. And I'd love to hear a little bit about you, uh, about it from you, Shan. Uh, we're going to call you Shan. Is that right? Because if we call you Shan Mugavel Senkaran, uh, <laughs> you're a guy who gets things done. And, and if we use your whole name, we'll be, uh, we'll be still saying your name while, you, while you're already doing things. And so we're going to call you Shan. It's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, we're a bunch of ugly Americans. Sorry. <laughs> That's the name uh, Wes and uh, our team gave in Microsoft. So I have been uh, used to this for almost two, two, two decades now. It's been good. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you, sir. So I think it's been a good uh, kind of couple of decades of journey in uh, cybersecurity. So maybe the initial first part, I was with Microsoft and IBM, a great intrapreneurial learning with uh, folks like you and uh, many others, Wes. So I think... Uh, what I learned is pretty much the application security world. And then uh, in IBM, I had a couple of interesting stints towards uh, security architecture and uh, compliance and controls. So after these three stints, went to work as a chief information security officer for a brief stint with the e-commerce platform. So that's when I was trying to procure a governance risk and compliance software for them to automate cybersecurity processes like ISO 27001, PCADSS. I couldn't buy at sub $50,000. I thought uh, that must be an interesting opportunity to jump ship and build one. So that's how this whole journey started for Fixnix. It's been uh, eight years of journey bootstrapping. I think uh, it's been a phenomenal, great bootstrapping journey along with my co-founder, Kyle Willey. Uh, she used to be my wife and kind of she has been helpful, very kind of to help me found, uh, found this company to kind of scale, scale till here. Yes. That's excellent. And we can find you at www.fixnix.co. Yes. Uh, 
you've got a great thing going on there with the GRC SaaS. I look forward to seeing how it grows and changes the marketplace. Definitely. So I, when I met you, you were already a very successful security engineer. What is the, how did you get your start in cybersecurity? What was your first big break? Sure. I think in Microsoft, I was a database administrator and then I was a security liaison program manager. So I was started interacting with the cybersecurity team internally. So uh, in one of the teams in the India, Microsoft India. So I think when the security team wanted to set up their shop in India, so that's when I think uh, they touched base. And then I was uh, uh, mandated to set up a application security team of engineers to test the, all the internal web applications. That's how I joined that application security world and then so there is no looking back. It was a great entrepreneurial learning where I need to sell security to the rest of the world internally to all the Microsoft folks where we were charging almost $150 per hour to the rest of the teams to get their applications tested or hacked before it goes to the external world. So that was a great learning. And I think it was a very high-performing team and I think I learned a lot from those guys. Uh, what is security? And then kind of uh, that, 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 that got fascinated towards cybersecurity. Others. It's okay. a fascinating field, and that was early on in the in the growth of the field. Yeah. So, Shan, you started as a database administrator. Is that what you said? Yeah, I, that's right. Okay. And that's, yeah, and that's a really common thing for people to come into cybersecurity from another IT job, right? That's a very common path. Yeah. So, in fact, uh, I, I kind of uh, joined uh, Microsoft as an intern. Um, kind of, I have had uh, kind of uh, exposure towards network administration, database administration, uh, or whatever, uh, system administration, nothing except programming. So, I was all, all on the DevOps side or whatever now, uh, off late, uh, DevSecOps, it's called as DevSecOps. So, I was on the other side of the world trying to fiddle around with the systems, etc., except building it. So, I think that that's, that's what got fascinated towards security. Uh, Cool. Thank you, sir. All right. So I'm going to remind our audience, uh, if you're listening in audio only, you don't get to see this. But if you're on our YouTube channel, you can see the visual. And this is the placement we're using, the map, the, the roadmap we're using to describe a security organization. Uh, to remind you, uh, if you haven't, if you don't recall this, check out one of our earlier episodes where we introduce each, each piece of this diagram. Understand that the center is your cybersecurity organization. You've got four large uh, portions or, or uh, uh, org sub, sub organizational units inside your cybersecurity org. And then you've got uh, 15 domains, and each of those domains then has individual teams. Each of those teams is responsible for specific service catalog line items. Your, your common security service catalog has 23 common security services, and that's just too many to take on in one episode. So we're going to jump into just a specific area this week. We're going to focus on that top left, the governance, risk, and compliance space. Now, governance, risk, and compliance sounds like it's GRC and, oh, it's all one thing. But actually, there's, there's a, a seven different unique services in that service catalog. And I think as we talk today, you're going to see there's a lot more going on inside there than, than you might have expected, right? I think there's a lot of job opportunities in there. And, and I like to make this simple for you. So uh, governance, risk, and compliance. This is the Christmas season here in, at our house. And it's, it's time to hang Christmas lights. And so governance is, how much money did I spend on my Christmas lights? <laughs> Risk, Show me the receipts. Show me your receipts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Risk. And was it against my budget or did I go over budget, right? And, and I'll tell you, I did go over budget this year. Risk. Risk is, how high is the ladder you're going to climb to hang those Christmas lights? 
And compliance is, are they hung in time for your wife's party? And so, <laughs> so that's the difference between governance, risk, and compliance that we'll be taking on today in, so the, in the terms put. of Christmas lights. So simply put. And that means that, if you know, you, you ladies and gentlemen, you know what you need to know. If you're pressed for time, you don't need to watch anymore. But, you know, <laughs> if you have a few minutes, stick around. <laughs> There's going to be some interesting stuff along the way. Let's see what we've got. So I'm going to dive deeper into that governance, risk, and compliance space. We're going to call out each of the security services in that service catalog. So number 20 is governance and PMO. Uh, when I think about governance and PMO, I think about uh, setting the budget for the organization, setting the, uh, not just not just the GRC, but for the entire security organization. I think about governance. I think about uh, the staffing levels and and planning for staffing for year over year planning and staffing. I think about uh, reporting. Right. Uh, we can uh, actually that'll be a later one. So I'm going to save that one for just a minute. I also think about this is your PMO. This is your project management office. Your your PMs here do the work of executing the plan and the roadmap for next year. Now, now I may want to upgrade my SIM. My SIM is not part of my GRC, but the budget money and the PM are going to come from my governance organization to support the SIM upgrade. Yeah, I like to think of these things as like, is, is what are we going to do to change, right? This is like, how are we going to change our organization? How are we going to adapt? How are we going to keep up, right? And And how do we do that in a in a in an organized fashion. This is an area that is a big touch point for all other parts of your security organization and your business organization. Uh, governance and PMO is is how you get things done. Understand you don't control most of most all of your resources. Your project management office has to has to tentacle out into all parts of your organization, your infrastructure teams, in order to deliver on the on the commitments we've made. Yep, that's right. And they're going to make sure that hopefully they're going to make sure that people aren't overloaded, right? That they're not 150% allocated to all kinds of different projects, because that's just a recipe for burnout and failure to delivery. So I'm going to jump to the next one. 21 is policies and standards. Now, I wish this were number one, because this is where all security begins, right? We have an expectation that everybody should, should do it according to a certain level of security. But if we don't write that down and manage that expectation across the organization, then nobody really knows what that expectation is unless we've written it down. So all security flows from your policies and standards. On the, on the first one, uh, Wes, uh, in fact, on the PMO side, I believe that uh, uh, usually the organizations have the project management standards. In fact, off late, I see uh, they are also looking at how the integrated management system standards, like uh, be it quality, environment, I think they started off late, including the cybersecurity management system, also along with the uh, PMO's uh, project management framework of the organizations. So I think uh, very well it goes into the organization central piece of the PMO itself, not necessarily have a PMO inside governance. It's like it's becoming part of the central so the CXO dashboard itself. Uh, if your CEO is looking at a dashboard, so how are uh, there are four or five metrics which is going from the cybersecurity world? which is becoming part of his daily reviews or whatever monthly or quarterly reviews. So I think uh, that that that's plays a huge role by the PMO contributing to those metrics. Uh, I think you're exactly right. And I'm actually going to call that out as number 22, management reporting. Um, that's where your security analytics function is going to live, where we're going to be gathering data from all over the organization. That's where we're going to define our KPIs for what, wh how do we want to measure our own security organization and, and that's where it rolls into your CXO dashboard uh, and also reporting to the board, right? 
here is what's going on in our risk world. Here's what's going on in our in our security world. So in fact, uh, on the policies and standards, I think uh, uh, it's a big ocean of uh, like starting from ISO 27001. If you look at uh, uh, North America, it's like NAST to CAS, many different bodies for healthcare, there's a HIPAA, for payment card industry, there's a PCDSS. So every industry has their robust standard or regulation, which is governing this uh, policies and uh, controls, how we can assemble all of that and which can help come very handy when it comes to assembling the rest of the processes service. Makes sense. You're right. Uh, there's a lot of organizations and bodies and standards that, that speak into what, what's our appetite for risk and how are we going to write that down in our policies? So I'm thinking a little bit about this management reporting. Um, and, and a question that uh, we've, we've come across over beers in the past is, how do you measure the success of a security organization? What are the, what are the KPIs, the key performance indicators that you would use to measure success in a, in a security org? Yeah. Shan, you, you've been doing this at a lot of companies. Do you have some thoughts on that? Um, on the management reporting, certainly, yes. So, in fact, uh, uh, people usually think that it's uh, the management reporting is just about uh, getting some of the cybersecurity things like uh, uh, risk register or uh, asset register or incident register. So, it's, it's, it's much beyond that. So, it's uh, kind of uh, off late. It has evolved. So, now uh, there are tools like threat intelligence, uh, security incident and event management. So, there are a phenomenal set of tools which is off late contributing to even the overall cybersecurity portion of the organization. Which is, which is becoming part of the management reporting. How often they are finding more incidents, whether it's anything going beyond above threshold. So whether they have this uh, covered as part of their uh, uh, business as usual, and then kind of able to identify, mitigate. It's not just about identifying and mitigating. So can they be proactive in handling incidents, which are kind of uh, prevalent in the industry so that they can be prepared without even getting to handle one. So uh, those kind of things are becoming part of this whole management reporting that there are a phenomenal set of uh, systems tools from almost all parts of the cybersecurity world products are contributing, feeding to this overall management reporting. I think GRC as a kind of a system is playing some role, plugging or taking inputs from multiple of these components based on the threshold value, it, it is getting those data and then able to showcase that, okay, to give a good cybersecurity portion of the organization to the CISO, uh, very in particular, uh, Wes. Yep, do you have some thoughts on that? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think we found a hot button. Yeah, and I, I just want to share one, one idea here, okay? Um, and that is your what you report is very much driven by who your audience is. And you've really, uh, I've struggled with that, to be honest with you. I, uh, for the longest time, I thought that, um, that, that my reports should be more universal, right? That everybody should really, really be looking at the same things as much as possible. Um, and, and what I, what I realized was, um, oh, you know, that, that's okay, but it really it's going to be a lot better if you just focus on who your audience is. And, and, and I'm going to give you one specific, uh, example, one, one specific use case. So I've had people tell me in the past, well, we should, we should tell the CEO, uh, we should give them metrics on how often we're attacked. 
And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? They're like, well, let's 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 go to the to the uh, perimeter firewalls and let's go ahead and just show them, you know, how many packets we're dropping every day because we think that packet is, you know, associated with some kind of attack or prelude to attack or something like that. And my my initial reaction was like, no, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, we 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 can't demonstrate anything about something that we don't control. Like, we don't control how often we're attacked. Right. So why would we re- report on something that we have no control over? Because people might ask us to fix it. It's like we can't fix, you know, who attacks us. So that was kind of my thinking for a long time. And then somebody came along recently and challenged me. And it was really hard. And I got to I just have to admit that I, I think I think I've I've uh, I've I've agreed that actually it can be useful to tell to tell CEOs and other members of the C-suite just how often you're getting attacked. Because here's the thing, if you do a really good job at dropping all those packets and, and, and all the other things you do to defend, right, all the malicious code that you block and all that stuff, if you do a really good job, then nobody thinks there's a problem. Nobody thinks there's a problem at all. They, they think that you're just running around consuming budget. <laughs> so you've got to show them the problem, right, that you're trying, that you're here to address. And so I've completely come... 180 degrees off of my original attitude about that, and I and I actually think that um, that it, that that is a really great way to help paint a really rich picture for the people that that you're trying to serve, uh, the folks in the C-suite. So anyway, this there you go. There's my there's my little rant. I'm hearing confessions of a CISO right here, and and the <laughs> apology that he just issued to all those who used to work for him. Who that's right. <laughs> The whole cybersecurity thing is uh, just a insurance, like a car insurance, right? Till you meet up with an ass accident, nobody realizes the value of it. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it, it, you know the the uh, the insurance angle is um, you know is a good one, and in fact, um, I use that now as a small business owner, as an entrepreneur, when I meet somebody, a potential customer, and I start talking with them. And if I if I start to feel like I'm selling life insurance to Zeus. I just shake their hand and move on. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're yeah. immortal, you don't need what I, you don't need what I got. No. And, I, and that's awesome that you're immortal. That, that's tremendous. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep us moving here. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit about uh, cyber risk management and third party and vendor risk management, just because that's our, our next piece is risk. Uh, understanding risk. I think a little bit about, uh, a risk is a violation of our known security policies and standards. Now, there may be a violation of, of what might be an industry best practice, but if it's not codified as a, a policy and standard, then I can't really record it as a risk on my risk register. That doesn't mean it's not a risk. It means I need to update my policies and standards and then capture the risk, right? Mm. That's, that's what that means. Now, uh, your risk management organization focuses specifically on cyber risk. Uh, and has a, a measure, a 5x5 five five scale or a 3x3 three three scale of, of high, medium, low, uh, it's going to quantify those risks and qualify those risks uh, in a cyber world. But then we're going to roll that up into enterprise risk. That's the larger risk organization owned by your enter- enterprise risk VP, separate from cybersecurity. Now, that, that enterprise risk owner is going to have the same 5x5 five five or 3x3 three three scale but they're measuring it against life and death. They're measuring it against, did somebody drive a truck into the front of my store and kill several of my staff, right? Uh, and sometimes uh, 
the database protection isn't the same as protecting a, a human life. And sometimes actually it is, right? Uh, it kind of depends on, on, on the value of the asset that we're, we're addressing right now. Yeah, so it can be right if it's a database of med- of you know dosing for medicines or you know yes. how deep the gamma knife should cut. Yeah, then we very much have a, a life and death uh, uh, situation. And so, understand enterprise risk is taking into account all of of physical and cyber risk and every other risk as they as they evaluate uh, even the supply chain risk that we've looked at lately. Right? What is my supply chain and is my supply chain using inappropriate labor? Is my supply chain pulling from, from uh, uh, war-torn countries that maybe are uh, uh, not approved in, uh, for, for, for trade at this time, right? So they're looking at enterprise risk at all levels. Uh, and cyber risk is just one of maybe 15 different candidates for risk that they're looking at. Then that risk is then rolled up to the board as uh, this is what the risk is to our organization. That's that. Uh, appears in your in your public reporting if you're a publicly traded company um, and that's uh, that's how we handle risk as an organization understand that all risk comes from violations of policy and all policy is can be changed as needed in order to to capture those risks the second part of uh, the cyber risk organization is the the third party risk management right we've made a promise to our customers that we're going to treat your your data your assets uh, the things that you've trusted to us uh, with appropriate care and concern, uh, uh, with a proper security controls. And, and we have that same expectation for our third party and fourth party companies that do business with our customers through, through us, right? And so if we're going to trust your data to someone else, we have an expectation that uh, they're going to treat your data with the same quality of protection that we, as our company, do. Would you add anything to that? Yeah, I completely agree to that, Russ. Uh, it's like... Uh... Uh, cyber risk is a kind of a very big ocean now. It, in fact, uh, there are a good amount of products uh, kind of uh, focusing on the different uh, aspects of cyber risk itself. There are products to quantify. There are uh, products uh, who are looking at that uh, uh, the enterprise risk aspect of it. There are products looking at the IT risk aspect of it. So let's let's try to take a look at what is IT risk, enterprise risk. Enterprise risk is mostly an organizational level risk where even whatever is impacting at the, on an organization so it's like whether they have covered it for the future of that organization in case if there is a big pandemic or a disaster occurs. So those kind of risks. So whether they have planned for it or in case in case if they have not planned, what is the kind of risk they are they are kind of uh, uh, kind of accounting for and then planning for it to kind of handle it at least for the future. So IT risk is pretty much uh, be it a web application security to uh, patch management to multiple other different things. So uh, there are uh, different models for both this enterprise risk as well as IT risk. In fact, uh, in our product, uh, so we we kind of certainly have products uh, out of our platform for all of this. In fact, in particular, uh, uh, risk in our risk product, uh, we kind of have uh, different uh, risk scoring algorithms for both IT risk and enterprise risk. Uh, for example, web application security risk, we have a OWASP uh, risk scoring. Patch management uh, risk, we have a CES scoring model. So, and then uh, for whatever general risk, we have a dread scoring for uh, for framework. And then uh, there are uh, quantitative way of scoring, qualitative way of scoring, asset-based risk scoring. So there are multiple ways the enterprise risk can be scored and then kind of can be brought into the risk register. Once after the it, every all different categories of risk is brought into the risk register, then comes the, the, there's a, uh, the team which is supposed to be fixing it 
providing a mitigation and there is a management team reviewing. It's a big ocean and I think uh, people have been uh, very successful doing this uh, through Excel. The biggest missing pieces, uh, they are not able to really kind of collaborate with the rest of the business functions when they grow. So if they are kind of a mid-market or becoming towards growing towards an enterprise, uh, they are having a uh, kind of a phenomenal growth. That's where I think they are not able to catch up maintaining this risk register, bringing both the IT aspect and enterprise aspect. I think that's where products uh, are kind of are even people, uh, seasoned people who can who kind of ha- have can have a hang of uh, the risk systems can handle it uh, thus. Yeah, I want to say something about that that last part about you know as as companies grow right they begin as as startups you know and then uh, if they're if they're if they do well they become a mid sized organization and then if they do really really well they become an enterprise and one of the things I've noticed about risk management is most of the available frameworks and approaches are very large enterprise, um, you know, suited. In other words, mid-market companies, small companies, it's very, very difficult for them to adapt some of these, um, you know, larger uh, risk management frameworks. And so a lot of them just end up sort of doing a lot of uh, shooting from the hip, uh, a lot of, you know, qualitative uh, risk assessment, or they, or they just sort of, you know, Say, well, I'm just going to pay attention to what I read in the in the headlines, or I'm just going to do what Cisco and Microsoft tell me to do, or whatever they think is the priority. You know, that's what I'm going to make my priority. Um, and so, so if you're working in a small or a mid-sized organization, I think that's a I think that's a huge challenge for you is to figure out what your risks are because you're just not set up for uh, you know to be able to work successfully with a lot of these existing frameworks. In fact, uh, uh, I am one big uh, person uh, differs with my GRC industry. I don't sell uh, like the rest of the industry that, okay, in case you don't uh, use our product, you guys are go- going to have a huge issue. So you are able to automate your existing business processes with an Excel. I think you are good to go. So you should have a basic system which is covering all of these different uh, pieces and parcels of uh, governance, risk and compliance. So risk, you are able to maintain a risk registry with an Excel and then able to sophisticated manner, you are able to mitigate it or review it with a management perspective. So I think you are good to go. So only thing is you need to do it on a very religious manner and then uh, regular reviews with the management and then publish it and uh, kind of everybody should have an access and they should know that there is a process uh, for it. So uh, kind of tools are uh, here to enable the processes. It's not the other way. People uh, kind of uh, buy the tools and then try to figure out the process, which should not be the case. Yeah, but I see that happen a lot. (laughs) And we can't let that happen. Uh, Thank you very much for for risk. And and Shan, thank you for calling out that there's different sources of risk and and different ways of measuring risk, depending on where the risk comes from. Um, And then lastly, uh, reminding us that there's a remediation function, right? And, and just to, to tie that back into our governance piece, uh, if we have a risk-driven security organization, then we're going to identify risks. We're going to put them on a risk register. We're going to prioritize and, 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 and uh, curate that list until we get to a top five or a top 10. Then as we build our plan for the years following the, the roadmap for next year and the year after, we're going to prioritize projects that will remediate those risks, right? Uh, those top risks. And so that's really how we go from risk register, we wrote it down, to how we're remediating, resolving, and, and, and getting risk turnover, and we're getting the velocity of risk turnover that we want to see in our organization. Velocity, I love it. 
yeah there, there certainly a, a kind of a people have a different uh, calculation models uh, in incorporating velocity also this is uh, brought a nice point so today i just went out i think uh, this, this is my covid-19 risk uh, register <laughs> kind of people got me kind of uh, the covid-19 juice the the traditional indian way of uh, fixing the covid uh, right it protection mechanism this is my risk juice of uh, covid-19 <laughs> well i speak uh, please <laughs> yeah <laughs> Outstanding. I'll drink my tea as well. Thank you. <laughs> I'm all out of tea. Dang it. I didn't make Unlucky. <laughs> Unlucky. So we'll keep moving and see if we can get Kip back to his cup of tea. Uh, the next one is compliance. And comp- Go ahead. You know, you mentioned about the third party, right? So the third party, in fact, uh, there, there is this uh, third party where, uh, uh, for example, Apple have outsources to Foxconn. When, when when they have outsourced to Foxconn and even when Foxconn screwed up on uh, their uh, employment uh, kind of issues. So the kind of uh, people have uh, really issues around uh, uh, handling that uh, uh, mess, right? And then Apple's stock went down because of that, uh, the workplace practices of Foxconn, which is a really uh, kind of a not a so good thing. So uh, all the companies have now, because of this environmental, social governance, many, many other indices and practices, they are trying to look at all their vendors or even third parties to make sure that whether they are following all those things uh, rightly. So particularly in cybersecurity, I'm outsourcing to somebody. So whether they are handling my data right. So Microsoft has come up with a very nice thing called SSPA, which is a kind of a, their own GDPR ISO 27001, where they are looking at almost all the, I think I was told seven, Microsoft has got 70,000 plus vendors across globe. So uh, they are looking at almost all of them to kind of comply towards this ISO, uh, this their own SSPA where there is a huge amount of insistence for be it cybersecurity or even privacy. So uh, I think they are trying to do nothing but a vendor risk or third-party risk, trying to make sure every every one of them who were uh, having some touch point with Microsoft or their data or their uh, systems or intellectual property, they are trying to cover. So I think it's a huge, huge thing which has evolved over the period of time now. I think it started with, uh, I think, almost uh, the kind of a lot of this Foxconn kind of issues where Apple stock went down because of Foxconn, because of uh, Apple don't have real direct uh, impact towards that, but they they, are, they have been building it uh, through uh, Foxconn, right? So I think uh, uh, SSPA is a very nice thing where uh, they have close to 56 control uh, in Microsoft world. And the, uh, the pretty much it's called uh, Microsoft uh, Supplier Security and Privacy Assurance is the expansion of Thank SSPA. You. Yeah. Supplier Security Privacy mm. Assurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you're on the receiving end of SSPA, like if you're a vendor to Microsoft, and this is true for all kinds of large enterprises. They have third-party risk management programs of all different types. But if you're working in a mid- mid-sized company or in a startup and you're trying to do business with a large enterprise and, and there's a, you know, a, a cyber risk component or a privacy component, uh, you're going to get crushed. <laughs> you know, it's going to be like it's going to be like a mouse dancing with an elephant. It's really, really hard. So just um, and the best know, answer to that is to look at your uh, attestation of compliance, right? Your SOC, your SOC two. Once you've got a SOC two yeah. in place, uh, you've got an attestation that says uh, we we perform the way we say we perform. We have mm-hmm. a third party attestation of that, and we can move on to the next uh, the next question. Sometimes that's a fast pass. 
Yeah, sometimes it is. Well, I could do a whole episode just on that topic, but I won't right now. I'll let you keep going, Rhett. We're going to save that for another day. (laughs) Uh, I do want to jump into compliance because compliance is a small little line here that's actually a really big part of our organization. Uh, We have government accountabilities. We have industry accountabilities. We have uh, client accountabilities, customer accountabilities. And and each one of those accountabilities is a compliance uh, requirement, right? What are the common compliance requirements? Sarbanes-Oxley or SOX is, is one. Uh, uh, PCI or PCI DSS is your, your payment card industry uh, compliance. Um, you might have a, 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 in the U.S., a GLBA, right? The Graham-Leach-Bliley Act is your banking compliance. You might have a HIPAA compliance uh, for, for healthcare. You may have a child marketing compliance uh, if you've got, uh, if you're access, uh, marketing to children under 13 years old, you may have CPNI if you're in the uh, 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 call data record space or telecommunications, mm-hmm. and and you may have a, a FedRAMP or FISMA if you're working with the federal government. Yeah, like or that's DFARS. just a short list. Yeah, yeah. There's all kinds. It depends on your industry and all kinds of other things. But one thing I tell people when you're working in cybersecurity is get a clear, definitive list of what it is that people are expecting from you in terms of laws and outside regulators or industry self-regulation. Be clear about that. Don't wonder. Your legal team is your best friend in figuring that out. And once your legal team has helped you define what you're accountable to, then delivering on that is your role. In fact, I believe uh, there are uh, standards like uh, uh, CSA star and uh, th- there are uh, even uh, regulations uh, like ISO 27701, which is towards privacy information management. And uh, 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 the, the privacy uh, things like GDPR or California Privacy Act, the many other things are really evolving. I think it's for good. I think people are really overwhelmed about frameworks, regulations, and the international standards. They don't have any clue. A lot of times when they are kind of uh, in the startup space or even a uh, growth phase, so I think they don't have any clue. So most of the times they, they kind of uh, get called by their one of their uh, customer or a large enterprise partner or a vendor, ask them, get go get certified on ISO 27001 or GDPR or NASD. That's how I think they start their journey. I think, uh, but when it comes to mid-markets, they have uh, pretty much at least some sorts of uh, legal team, at least who figures out that they need to comply towards this and then they put some basics of it. I think it's it's uh, suddenly uh, things are evolving. I'm I'm very glad. I think industry is taking it in right spirit instead of just uh, getting a namesake uh, uh, stamp for uh, kind of getting that certified uh, off late. We could go a long time on compliance. I'm going to leave that one there uh, and leave Shan with the last word on that one. It was a good one. Uh, Because my favorite is coming up next. Security awareness and training is by far, in my opinion, the most important piece in the entire security organization. This is where we're teaching our organization the culture of security, right? Uh, Every every developer that ever went went to school uh, learned and took a security class in in their development uh, degree program. But it seems none remember any of them. And so... (laughs) Our role as security awareness and training is is very much uh, reminding you of the of the bare bare knuckle table stakes of of how do we protect our environment, how do we protect the data, how do we keep the promises that we've made. So, 
<clears throat> awareness and training are two different functions. Training is very much a classroom or, a, or an online learning. Awareness is much more about uh, a poster on a wall saying, uh, uh, change your behavior or, or don't let somebody follow you through the door. Uh, both are valuable. Uh, it's also part of your October Security Awareness Month, which is your, your big month in the cybersecurity space. And it's, the pro it's probably the one thing you have no budget to spend on. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what I normally see is that this, this area, which is so important, is, is often completely under-resourced. And the people who are responsible <laughs> for it don't come to it with the heart of a teacher and they don't like dealing with people. <laughs> what are we doing? Oh my goodness! Yeah. So anyway, no, so but, I, right. no, but I, I slightly differ off late, uh, uh, So I think people uh, kind of considering COVID nineteen kind of situations. Um, so uh, think about a, a bank. Okay, right? they used to have hundred thousand people working out of their huge uh, walls. Uh, now. Uh, now they don't have walls anymore. Uh, it's like everybody's working out of home. So they are held scared and they are certainly highly investing on training and awareness. I think that's a phenomenal change which I'm seeing with respect to industry. They are they're doing a phenomenal amount of things. So let's take an example like a phishing training, right? So uh, uh, you you know about all the ransomware, etc. stuff, right? So where people send you some kind of a phishing mail to the whole corporate world with a kind of a different uh, uh, kind of a messaging and then try to get at least part of them and then infect uh, the corporate network with a kind of a ransomware so that they can get the corporate uh, data. Uh, so I think uh, uh, banks are really worried about it. A lot of this uh, highly regulated industries allowing their employees to work out of their home, they're worried about it. Despite having a virtual uh, desktop infrastructure and a VPN, all these kind of controls, still they are health scared. Uh, because people go off network all the time and then they use the same corporate device for their personal things. They kind of, now they have their kids banging them, kind of they try to do some bunch of uh, even kids uh, class in their uh, official infrastructure, right? So now the uh, thin line between that uh, office and home has uh, yeah. kind, of, uh, uh, kind of gone down. So it's like uh, people are heavily investing, uh, particularly like things like phishing, uh, phishing training where they try to kind of uh, they send send out uh, with a kind of a very uh, planned uh, kind of a stuff. They kind of send out uh, uh, mails to almost all of the corporate infrastructure, and then uh, they try to see how many people get misled and then try to click that link, which is uh, not a good thing. And then there, there are a lot of uh, startups in the space. There are startups like No Before who have raised hundreds of millions of dollars doing doing phenomenal amount of things in this uh, training and awareness space. I'm very glad things have moved and. Uh, I think you guys must be knowing the shift left, right? The shift left, which is happening in the cybersecurity world, the, uh, where uh, people are trying to see, so you, you are in a life cycle of developing software or doing things. So how you can start thinking about security in the leftmost corner of your whole journey, which is like the envisioning part of the journey, right? Thus, you must be able to remember our old days of Microsoft where I think uh, in Microsoft, uh, there was a concept uh, called a secure development lifecycle, right? Where the SDL, the SDL is the new, I think, old wine now put in new bottle, which is nothing but shift left. So I think everybody's talking about shift left where, so how can, be it uh, not only software development, be it anything. So how you can think about uh, cybersecurity from the start of this. So where training plays a huge role in this uh, shift left or be, uh, any new initiatives, uh, Kip? No doubt about it. No, I agree. 
I absolutely agree. I just don't see it often uh, given the resources it needs to succeed. All right, so let's see where we go from here. We've got the seven services, and we we kind of we went long on those, but I think it was worth doing. Uh, I think we learned a lot there. Uh, as we jump into the the next slide, we get to see the common functions and tools we might expect to see in the GRC space. Uh, unfortunately, PowerPoint is the first <laughs> tool <laughs> in use in the GRC space, and I think that's because this is very much a business driven function. Right? You don't have to be an application security specialist in order to be able to quantify risk. In fact, it's very much business language when we're understanding risk. And that's very much a business analyst role, not a functional or technical analyst role. And so uh, uh, PowerPoint is our tool that we use to communicate what's going on in our security business with the rest of our business. Uh, and this is a big business touch point. We need to use business language. And so that's why we see the PowerPoint. The governance risk compliance tool is is right there, number two. Uh, and and Shan, you can tell us about fixnix.co and how it how it helps solve that problem for the for the mid market companies. That risk register is is critical because this is where we if it's not written on the risk register, we didn't really find it. And once it is written on the risk register, it is accountabilities of our board uh, to be aware of it and to to accept or or remediate that risk. Uh, we've also got a training platform, an analytics platform, and project management platform going on inside our functions and tools. Uh, inside our processes and standards, we've got a policy review board. This is where we make changes to our policy. We don't do it in a vacuum. We don't do it alone in an ivy ivory tower. We make our policy changes with the consensus of our organization. Uh, we also have risk questionnaires where we understand and quantify risk, uh, a risk matrix for scoring that risk and KPI reporting come out of this, this area. Anything you guys would add or change on there? I think uh, you pretty much covered uh, almost everything. So I think in the GRC tool spectrum, I think that there are aspects like um, some of the physical security aspects like business continuity, disaster recovery, uh, kind of multiple bunch of things come. But if GRC is not the day offered, it's a platform where you can get multiple processes automated under the platform. So I think uh, it's much beyond a tool off late. I think uh, that way, I think that covers uh, every much, uh, every pretty aspect of it uh, uh, best. You know, Wes, I would, uh, there's one tool we should have put on the list that didn't make it on there, Excel. <laughs> <laughs> so it, much of this work is still being done through, through, through spreadsheets. It is, it is very much so. And a lot of our internal security relationships for the GRC team, uh, we need to be getting our information directly from our incident responders. We need to be getting it directly from our IT uh, project assessors. We need to be uh, getting it directly from our security test team. So, so our GRC function needs to be directly in, embedded inside our incident response project support and testing teams uh, so that we're getting real live what's going on on the ground data. And then, and then that policy administrator, right? That policy administrator is your, your best friend, not just for security policy, but for organizational policy. Uh, and so, so those are the internal security relationships. I think uh, I have a small observation to make here on the analytics side of it. So analytics means usually as a cybersecurity person, we usually think about uh, uh, the SIM aspect of it, security incident and event management and bunch of uh, how we can get the logs out of this multiple cybersecurity investments and then kind of correlate and then present, et cetera, stuff. 
but uh, off late i think analytics uh, the machine learning artificial intelligence kind of uh, systems or tools or components are built on top of the core grc platform itself we have done that we have done that uh, when we did it i think we were certainly having no uh, kind of pre uh, role models in the industry to kind of see how we can apply artificial intelligence machine learning in grc platform but we went ahead and did it for inter- audit management and risk management so how um, the analytics on top of audit can help the teams uh, plan audits so when when we are able to predict uh, future audits saying that okay there are going to be findings in this area there are uh, more uh, issues going to be this per- from this particular location when we make a good bunch of those kind of predictions as a dashboard and provide it in a platter to an organization as part of the dashboard organizations are able to use it in a phenomenal way for their uh, planning audit planning activities so the same applies for risk when we are able to present a multiple bunch of this uh, risk predictions about uh, which risk scoring model they will be using which team will have more risk and which team uh, uh, which uh, mitigation models we will be using to uh, ha- handle more of the risk in this first quarter of the next year some some of these kind of predictions when we are able to make so these predictions uh, kind of get more accurate as we kind of grow the data historical data but uh, kind of when we start making this prediction it comes very very handy for the the original risk team or audit team with respect to planning uh, for their future which which functions they should be auditing which functions they should be doing more of a risk uh, kind of assessments so i think uh, the analytics aspect has phenomenally uh, kind of come in and then changing the overall governance risk and compliance landscape uh, you have made a very very nice point there very cool i'm going to jump ahead here to the enterprise partnerships that we might see out of the grc organization and i think this is probably uh the the item i want to highlight i think we highlighted it with our powerpoint as well uh your finance team your legal team your vendor management and your physical security are all going to be key enterprise dependencies we're going to have from our governance risk and compliance space uh we're going to have strong partnerships with our board and with our our c level executives because this is where the risk reporting happens this is the what keeps you up at night question um from your security this is security's answer for what keeps you up at night and and we really need to curate that to our top 5 or top 10 and then and then really drive those to remediation uh we also have strong partnerships with our enterprise risk we talked about with our it teams for policy compliance and project interdependencies and then we talked about training and communications anything you guys want to add here i'm going to jump ahead because i know we're we're tight on time and we've got a lot more content we want to get through so Uh, I, I, I do want to call one, out. I have one observation in this previous slide. Yes, sir. So the observation is, I think uh, we used to have this uh, very famous debate in the cybersecurity world. How can we make the chief information security officer report to a CIO, so a CTO, uh, which which was which used to be a very 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 famous debate. so the ideal ideal world ciso should be reporting to your ceo so that he have the complete independence with respect to cyber security right if we go ask him to report to technology or it so he may not be able to question them so that that's a usual thing i think it's going on for decades and i think industry has changed now so the same thing with respect to governance risk and compliance so a lot of a lot of times ideally speaking in ideal world it should be a separate organization according to think tanks like open complaints and ethics group which is uh, one of the famous think tank in the governance risk and compliance space oceg.org so but uh, 
what we find is in reality is people kind of align the whole GRC under uh, legal or finance at times even under security or even under uh, uh, kind of IT. So uh, they have one manager, if they don't have a CXO, complaints officer, chief complaints officer type person or risk officer type person, they, they end up aligning under IT or security or even uh, finance or legal. Suddenly, I think uh, they, they are supposed to be the collaborators. They are not necessarily, ideally speaking, we should be reporting the whole GRC organization. So that's an observation I have. As, let's go get ahead. Thanks, man. Good stuff. I want to call out that uh, if we were looking at this organization as a GRC staffing organization, this is probably 16% of our headcount of our overall security organization. And you can, uh, if you've got the slides uh, or if you download the slides, you can see in detail where where that staffing is is going to align. Additionally, you're going to see about 20% of your overall security budget is going to go into this organization. Wait, 16% of your staff and 20% of your budget? Why is that? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Uh, because <laughs> 10%, uh, so half of your GRC budget is actually seed money for remediation of, of problems in your organization, right? So, uh, I see a problem over in my uh, uh, container space. My container team doesn't have budget or, or, or schedule for that to be remediated this year. Um, I need it remediated this year, and I can drop some seed money in there to help, uh, help uh, incubate that project and get it started. So that's, that's a little bit about how we use that, that seed money in our, in our risk space, and that's how we got to 20% of our overall budget. Thoughts awesome. on that? No, I think I completely agree. Uh, but uh, only thing is, in reality, um, people always think that the whatever investment they are making towards cybersecurity or risk or compliance as a cost center, I think uh, which should be changing. I think I uh, because it's uh, as I said before, it should be an insurance uh, uh, for the organization about their reputation. So in case if they don't invest, they are going to get screwed. Uh, their uh, some of their data may be out, and uh, kind of the uh, kind of their kind of their uh, uh, brand value is going to go down, or their uh, stock market or market cap. A lot of those issues are going to happen. So certainly, uh, this is an insurance they should make, uh, kind of to protect themselves from the future attacks. Uh, As we look at what are the available career opportunities in the governance risk and compliance space, there are several senior positions that you can transfer into, right? You can get a senior project or program manager. Uh, you can get very senior business risk analysts and you can get very senior compliance and analytics leads, right? Uh, this is not a common place for IT professionals to, uh, to transfer into unless you're a business analyst, an IT business analyst transferring into the risk, governance risk or compliance organization. Now, this is a great place for entry-level positions. That person looking for their first job, their internship, their zero to two years and their two to five year roles. Uh, the person can be a policy administrator. Uh, we've got a lot of opportunity for project management, for risk analyst, and for third-party risk analysts because that's done in the business language, right? You don't have to know everything about IT. You need to be able to write down the salient parts of the technical risk into a way that your business can understand and quantify that risk alongside you, right? Uh, you've also got your compliance and, and analytics analysts, and you've got your security awareness trainer, project manager, and analyst. So those are all areas that you can step into from an early career perspective and be very successful in this organization. How would you guys add to that? So in fact, uh, I would add uh, 
internal audit as a function there are internal uh, audit associate kind of roles which is also a great role where you know some set of basics about some of the standards and frameworks so almost all of the big four uh, uh, all this uh, ui pwc type so you suddenly have a lot of roles there they kind of do a lot of work phenomenal amount of work in the space helping even fortune fortune 1000 uh, so kind of uh, there are a lot of amount of roles in the audit space eventually you can get yourself into the sisa uh, sisam uh, kind of a different certifications graduating uh, yourself towards a process person uh, process framework person um, uh, and then uh, which can help you become an internal auditor or a kind of a external auditor a lot of those kind of audit roles very senior audit roles i think uh, eventually you can get to a your uh, even cpa and then you can become a soc 2 kind of an audit uh, kind of a even function so th- that's a phenomenal career out there in the audit world uh, along with the risk and uh, compliance plus uh, very much so you know what was just real quick one of one of our one of our most successful students um it has say he crossed over into grc he was um <clears throat> actually in the accounting department and uh and he had a lot of really great transferable skills he didn't even realize and he went over into the cybersecurity team and now he works in the govern- governance risk and compliance space and he loves it he's having a ball if anybody wants to uh learn more about uh Steve who did this you can just go to yourcyberpath/steve and we've got a little write up of uh of what he did so check that out excellent but there are bodies like uh, open complaints and ethics group which is a think tank in this grc space they they have a certification uh, called grc certified professional grcp so which also uh, can help us get into any of this career in the whole grc gamut good advice thank you i don't have that one on my radar so i'm glad you brought that up all right so uh Shan this is our chance to get to know you a little bit further right what have been the keys to your career success along the way what uh what has helped you uh be successful you mentioned your wife <laughs> you mentioned a lot of hard work what else would you add to that so i think uh uh one 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 part of the journey was uh, kind of uh, we never had much precedence in the industry when we started out so i think particularly um, i think i started the company out of, out of india uh and uh, uh in fact it was with one of the toughest place to secure venture capital uh, so i kind of uh, uh, put all my eggs in one basket and kind of uh, mortgage my house to raise a, a seed from government of india kind of did a lot of this crazy uh you sold, sold your, your house, house to yeah, start your company yeah, yeah, that's yeah. phenomenal yeah i i became officially the entrepreneur who sold his house when we raised a small round so uh, kind of uh, uh, that that was really, really crazy i will not recommend in hindsight i will not recommend that route it's a certainly a kind of a huge roller coaster emotional roller coaster but uh, uh, kind of but uh, in case uh, if if you guys want to get in so just try to keep perseverant uh and passionate about the problem it's not that you are going to find out something some light in the tunnel in a year or two so when you are signing up for something at least sign sign up for something for 3 years or 4 years if you are in uh, your early 20s or mid 20s or uh, early 30s i think that's the best time you try to start something so you, at least even if you try something for 3 years or 4 years 
something doesn't work out you can go back to industry nothing nothing uh, kind of helps your career path so people respect at least in north america people respect that you have went work with a startup or pursued something you are, you have that uh, huge learning curve uh, you have tried building and it didn't work out so now you can bring uh, bring the entrepreneurial passion back to the corporate world that's how i think people see that so always try to see uh, how you can perseverantly solve some of the problem don't don't give up it plan for a marathon don't uh, plan for a sprint is what i uh, my recommendation is and also kind of with respect to capital uh, capital is always uh, kind of a, is a very big challenge so try to see how you can bootstrap bootstrap through service so you you are already equipped with uh, some of the skills in governance risk and compliance space like auditing or uh, compliance risk etc stuff you try to see how you can serve the clients as a kind of in the some of the standards uh, implementation space or whatever uh, the, there are multiple pl- other of opportunities try to see how those services can f- feed you where you are going to kind of build some of the products using that seed money which is coming to the services that's how the way you can build up your entrepreneurial pursuit in case if you want to take up that uh, route always even if you are to pursue a career route so try to see how you can differentiate yourself or try to keep learning about new standards new regulations or uh, new verticals uh, in the, the whole GRC gamut. So I think uh, I'll just give an example of financial services. Uh, financial services world have, people usually think that the payment card industry standard is the only cybersecurity standard. But you think about uh, the blockchain industry or crypto industry, there are plethora of cybersecurity standards uh, have come in because of blockchain and crypto. Uh, they, they are just in the financial services gamut. So you 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 want to focus on it. You kind of can do phenomenal amount of things uh, by being a cyber security person in the blockchain industry or in the crypto industry. It's uh, called uh, the the whole gamut is called fintech, right? So uh, you just we uh, say keep keep learning, keep up your learning curve, even if you are on the corporate uh, path. This is uh, my kind of uh, recommendation. Uh, I think my my kind of a uh, humble uh, I think uh, uh, kind of observation about our own journey or. We, we are still moderately successful. We got recognized by Gartners of the world, but still we have a long way to go. I believe, I think we have been keeping our chins down and keep focusing on kind of how we can keep reiterating whatever little uh, less amount of capital resource we had, we kind of continued keep shipping. We shipped totally seven iterations of the whole platform. We have now 12 products in the platform and uh, kind of we are, we are trying to make the dent. I think now the industry is trying to follow that whole software as a service business model. I think we are really very pleasant about that, that everybody is trying to follow something which you have pioneered. So that is uh, the one thing from our journey which I want to share with us. Thank you. And what do you know now that you wish you knew then, right? If you could go back 20 years and tell young Shan something else, what would it be? What would you... What wisdom would you give yourself? Maybe I think uh, uh, don't go by the usual fancy uh, 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 fancy company uh, brands. So it's, maybe I think we, we, you and me wouldn't have met uh, working along in the Microsoft world if I know the secret. So I think uh, go uh, see in case if there's an opportunity to go work for a startup is what I would have taken in case if, if I kind of knew this uh, before. Where uh, working for a startup I think it gives you a huge, uh, it's kind of a mini MBA. You work for a startup uh, for a year. It, it's a kind of a two-year, $100,000 MBA. That's how I will put it. It can be it can be a random startup out of India or it can, it can be a, a phenomenally funded startup out of Silicon Valley. It can be anything. Go work for a startup. 
uh, early stage startup, you kind of are going to have a phenomenal amount of learning. I think that, that uh, I would uh, redo that uh, differently in case if I, if I were to come hmm. out of school now. It's good advice. Thank you, Shan, for joining us today. Your wisdom has been been fun to listen to, and, and you've added a lot to the conversation. I appreciate it very much. I want to close out today with these three key takeaways, right? Security GRC has some great early career opportunities. Security policy is the start of all things security. And this is a really important touch point for our business and our, and our uh, organizational leadership. Next time, we're going to dive into product security. And I really hope you can join us for that because it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. Shan, Shan, thank you so much for being here. Indeed. I really appreciate the contribution that you made to uh, the material that we've looked at today. And I'm sure that our, our audience is going to understand it much better because of, because of what you've shared. Well, folks, if you like our podcast, then uh, we've got a free guide that I want to point out to you that uh, we put together and uh, that you might want to get your uh, get your hands on. It's called Play to Win, Getting Your Dream Cybersecurity Job. And you can actually see an excerpt of it here on the slide on the screen, along with the URL that you can go to to retrieve your own copy. Um, what it does is it, it says, look, a lot of people like playing Capture the Flag. Do you know, you can actually borrow the whole Capture the Flag mindset and skills uh, to actually go and get your dream cybersecurity job. And that's what this guide does, is it, is it takes you into a different headspace on how you should actually go out and hunt for your job, not just passively wait for job listings to show up in your inbox. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to get out there and actually track down the job that is going to be a great fit for you and, and tell people that you're a great fit for that job. And this visual guide, 20 pages, is going to, is going to help you do that. So go to yourcyberpath.com forward slash PDF and grab yourself a copy. Take a look at it. Tell us what you think. If you think it's missing anything, I want to hear from you. If you like it and you think it's just right, let me know that too. Just would love to hear back from you uh, either way. But that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for being here. And I just want you to remember you're only one path away from your dream cybersecurity job. See you later. Bye, y'all.